2: Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm John Hodge, joined by J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing the Edmonton Elks trading veteran offensive lineman,
0: David Beard. The Ottawa Red Blacks, let me get this straight, a sudden winging streak? Jamie Newman
2: struggling under center for the Hamilton Tiger Cats.
0: And Duke Williams taking stupid penalties.
2: And the Manitoba Bisons offensive line going viral. But first... The Saskatchewan Rough Riders released Garrett Marino, the controversial defensive tackle, on Tuesday, two days after a video of him crushing Winnipeg Blue Bombers quarterback Zach Kolaris went viral on Twitter. He has finished his tenure in Ryderville playing 15 regular season games with a four-game suspension, two ejections, as well as a number of fines. Did Saskatchewan make the right decision here?
0: They absolutely did. They made it a little bit too late for my liking, but this was the correct decision. Garrett Marino has done absolutely nothing in his time in the CFL, both before his hit on Jeremiah Mazzoli and after his suspension, to prove he deserves the privilege of being able to play pro football in this league. He simply uh, abuses that privilege on a regular basis, basis with borderline hits at best and egregiously illegal ones at worst. And we've seen the full spectrum this season. You know, the latest hit on Zach Kolaris was late. I know there's a lot of situational stuff that people want to bring up. Oh, he didn't see this. He didn't see that. It was pretty clear he saw the pitch leave Zach Kolaris' hand that he didn't have the ball. He stepped into the contact, lifted him right up off his feet, and then feigned as if he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. To me, that was a clear evidence of a guy who had intent to go in and lay a hit on a quarterback who didn't have a ball, who was in a vulnerable position. Quite frankly, it looked like a blindside hit in hockey with the way that Zach Kolaris' head had was turned after he had just completed that pitch. So Marino thought he would have plausible deniability. He decided to get an extra shot in, and in this case, it's cost him in, in the fact that he no longer has a job in the CFL, and in fact, he might never have a job in the CFL again.
2: And you touched on on the fact that it was a blind hit. Um, I, there was we should mention there was some feedback from former players on Twitter who didn't take much issue with the hit, right? Saying like, "Well, theoretically, you know, Kalara's." you know, may have may have faked the pitch, right? I, I'm not sure how exactly you'd you'd identify that play, whether it's some type of, you know, read option RPO. There's there might be an option for Kolaris to hold on to the football and bootleg the opposite way. Um so uh, you know, if, if this was any other player, I think that this hit, while still, you know, maybe eyebrow raising, maybe fine worthy, wouldn't have uh created the stir. Of course, this one did over 150,000 views on Twitter within the first 48 hours of it taking place. But this is how a player's reputation can be used against them, right? And this is a situation where Garrett Marino came out of his four game suspension, promising to be smarter, right? Promising to make better decisions. And I'm still going to be Garrett Marino, but I'm going to be a smarter version of Garrett Marino. He had to know that he was under the microscope and he's already been fined once, Since coming back from that four-game suspension, the very first game, he took a a run at Peter Godber, the center for the BC Lions, got fined for that. And there was also a video that surfaced on Twitter of him potentially trying to take the head off of Lucky Whitehead. He missed, uh, but it was an egregious launch. And so obviously, this is a situation where Garrett Marino had not learned his lesson, um, personally, I'm with our guy Joel Gaston, who wrote a great column Wednesday morning about the Bradders' decision to release Marino. I think he should have been cut after the hit on uh, Jeremiah Masoli back in Week Five and the subsequent celebration, which frankly was disgusting. Uh, we talked about that on the show uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, that being said, better late than never. This guy, in my opinion, didn't deserve a chance beyond that. The Riders gave it to him. Obviously, he squandered that opportunity and. And Football, absolutely, you're, you're right. Professional football is a privilege. It's not a right. It's something that is afforded to a very select few people who deserve that opportunity and have the ability to play this game at an extremely high level. Marino has squandered that opportunity. The league is better, in my opinion, for him being gone.
0: I know there's a lot of people, specifically a, a minority segment of of Ryder fans, that are passionate defenders of Garrett Marino, who would like to call us all of us who criticize him, you know, too soft. You know, this isn't real football. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, let me make one thing clear. Like I've played both the positions that Garrett Marino is hitting and I played the position he plays. And believe me, I was not talented, so I've had to do my share of under-the-radar uh, dirty tricks in order to get by, just like Garrett Mourinho did. I know what he's doing, and I know how he's getting away with it. You look at that Peter Godber hit, Hodge, and a lot of people will say, well, that's not a penalty. That's not a fine. You're supposed to, when someone goes and false starts, to go hit the guy across from you. That's how you draw the penalty. That's what you're supposed to do. And in fact, there's a of truth in that. You're supposed to do that. But if you're a line coach out there making that argument, perhaps look at the way Garrett Marino hit Peter Godberg because he didn't do it with proper form. He wasn't a defensive lineman shooting out his hands, creating extension. He drilled a shoulder into him. That's a, the worst possible way that a defensive lineman can come off the ball. That allows yourself to be blocked by the offensive lineman. And he did it specifically so he could get a shot at You look at the hit this week. I mean, that play is designed with the, the D-tackle is unblocked. Garrett Mingo was designed to be unblocked on that play specifically because the Bombers did not conceive of a scenario in which that D-tackle would get there in time not recognize that Zach Kalowis didn't have the ball and be able to drill him. They anticipated that by the time the D-tackle got there, as Garrett Mourinho did, the ball is gone and it becomes an illegal hit, right? That is how that play is designed with the the jet sweep and the zone block on the right side and then a little pin and pull action on the backside. So this wasn't a circumstance of someone missing their assignment. The play was designed because what Garrett Mourinho did was illegal. Like, it shouldn't have happened in that play. That's why the offensive coordinator drew it up. But Garrett Marino, again, is right on the edge with everything he does, and then he steps over it because he feels like he has to do that to get an advantage in the game. And right now, you know, for the safety of the players, we have not seen a player in this league that is so vehemently hated and reviled by his opponents, who universally almost believe him to be a safety hazard on the field and so I think it's you know about time that the Saskatchewan rough raggers acted
2: well and the CFL it should be said as well does not have enough good quarterbacks to go around right now it just doesn't there is a vacuum right now in the CFL partly due to injuries of course looking at Nathan Rourke and the you know with his list Frank injury undergoing foot surgery unfortunate situation Uh, But that being said, anybody in my opinion, my personal opinion, who wants to make that hit okay is going to need a DeLorean and a flux capacitor because if you want to go back in time to 1982, 1985, 1997, whatever, yeah, you can make that hit okay. But it's 2022. The CFL needs to protect its quarterbacks. Zach Kolaris is the best healthy quarterback of the CFL right now. The last thing we need is for him to miss a month because of a stupid late hit from somebody who has a very well-documented past of doing these types of reckless things. Unneeded, unnecessary, reckless. That's it.
0: The Edmonton Elks traded all-star caliber center David Beard and a conditional fourth-round pick to the Hamilton Tiger Cats this past week in exchange for offensive lineman Jesse Gibbon and a second-round pick. Who do you like this trade for, Hodge, the Elks or the Ticats?
2: Well, I love this trade for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. There were conflicting reports. I was able to confirm with uh, Mr. Beard's agent, Rob Fry, that he is, in fact, under contract for the 2023 season. Uh, Through an alternate source, I was able to determine that he is getting a raise next year. He's supposed to make in the neighborhood of $200,000 to be at or among the very highest paid offensive linemen in the CFL. Uh, to me, the Ticats cats have had big issues at center. Jesse Gibbon was drafted out of Waterloo in 2019 with the second overall pick to be a fixture on that offensive line. And he has not lived up to that. Uh, he's a player. I really liked coming out of the draft. I think there's still a chance that he could be a, a good starter in this league, but it's been three years. He has not proven it. I don't blame the TICATS cats for wanting to move on. They've had Alex Fontana, Alex Fontana, Coulter Woodman see in that spot this year, They've not been good enough. Darius Sorako, former first-round pick, signed with the Ottawa Redblacks in free agency. He secures that spot for them. For Edmonton, I'm sorry, I hate this trade. David Beard, born in Sherwood Park, Alberta, 20 minutes from downtown Edmonton, played his university football at the University of Alberta, and... You know, to, to be a hometown pick, he he was on the bench for the first couple of years of his career, just like Gibbon. I don't think he was a full time starter until year three. That was twenty seventeen. Uh, after he was a second round pick, I believe it was in twenty fifteen. Uh, but he is a homegrown, you know, uh, uh, talent, right? To to the to, to the greatest extent of of anybody in this league, right? This would be like you know the Winnipeg Blue Bombers trading away Nick Dembski, right? Uh, a guy who's from there played played, played college football there, university football there, and, and does it at an extremely high level. And it appears that this is just a salary dump, right? The Edmonton Elks went out and signed Mark Cordy from the Ottawa Red Blacks, another you know, Alberta boy who played for the Golden Bears in U Sports and signed him to the highest contract in the league for a Canadian offensive lineman. To me, those are the two types of pillars you can build your franchise and your offensive line on they are not pieces to be moved elsewhere. It's not like David Beard is 33 years old. He's 29. He's in the prime of his career. He's going to be in the prime of his career for a couple more seasons. And if I was a fan in Edmonton, frankly, I would be extremely upset that that prime is going to be spent, you know, 3,000 kilometers east in the steel town when he could have been playing right in his backyard.
0: And with offensive linemen, I think you could argue that David Beard has not even yet, Energis prime because sometimes these guys hit their stride once they turn 30 he's still 29 so his best years may in fact be ahead of him as a veteran savvy center david beard to me is is one of the most underrated players in the entire cfl he's highly effective from that position and as you mentioned hudge this is a salary dump but it's not even a salary dump from this year i believe because uh, the elks have had such injury issues that a lot of their high pri- Price players. I've been spending time on the six-game injured lips, which, of course, does not count against the salary cap. This seems to be a move making anticipation of next season because they don't want to have to pay, you know, two guys over two hundred thousand dollars along the offensive line in in Corte and Beard potentially because they want to chase a viable quarterback. Potentially, they'll bring in another high-priced offensive lineman and someone like Carter O'Donnell, who they uh, acquired the rights to earlier this year and may have seen his time in the NFL come to a close due to injury this season. Those are all options. But ultimately, for me, this was not a move that needed to be made with any expediency right? This is a move that could have been kicked down the line if you really thought you had to trade David Beard or get rid of David David Beard for financial reasons. This season, it didn't need to be made. And the only purpose, in my mind, to Edmonton's 2022 season is to evaluate their quarterbacks. And evaluating your quarterbacks is done best behind a good offensive line. And I know they also want to evaluate some of their... L- y- Lot young first round picks, you know, Thomas Jack Kurgela is the guy who's next up at guard. Now that they've bumped Corday to center and they want to evaluate him as well, but it's tough to do both at the same time because when that young guard struggles and has growing pains, it's going to affect your quarterback play. You're no longer evaluating him from a clean pocket. You're no longer seeing, okay, this is a guy we can go forward with in the best situation. So to me, it's a move that Edmonton made far too soon and probably shouldn't have made at all based on the caliber of player that David Bierg is. When you have a guy like that who's local, who has an incentive to stay in the city and is that talented, what you do in the offseason if you need to save cap room is you go to him and say, hey, how much would you shave off your contract to stay in your hometown? How much does this mean to you? and I don't think Edmonton examined that possibility, and they traded him for what is essentially parts because moving up two, two rounds in the draft, it's something. It's not as big as I think Chris Jones wants to pretend it is. And Jesse Gibbon, as high as I was on him coming out of the draft, I was higher than on him than I was Drew Desjardins at the time. So this is not a player that I hate for any reason whatsoever. I very much like Jesse Gibbon, but he has not panned out yet and they've downgraded at a very important position that helps them evaluate what's going on behind them.
2: I know that, that you do an, a fantastic job of assessing the draft, JC. That is one that I've got on you. I felt that the, the Toronto Argonauts should take Drew Desjardins with the first overall pick of that draft, and I think that has aged very well. Um, that being said, um, to me, the time to worry about this, uh, it, it, talk about the salary cap. Is is exactly it's next year, right? The CFL is a is a year to year league. Would David Beard stay less to stay in his hometown where he's got three children under the age of five? My guess is yes. Um, I'm not saying he goes from 200 to 100, but if you need him to save a little bit of money against the cap, you could probably do that. Um, yes, the Edmonton Elks need a better quarterback, an upgraded quarterback. But that being said, they've got Trey Ford making peanuts next year on his CFL rookie. Uh, draft deal. Um, th- there's other places to save money, namely Kenny Lawler making 300 grand. Right, he's he's literally making fifty thousand dollars more than the next highest paid receiver, and a hundred thousand dollars more than the next highest paid receiver. After that, the offensive line is not a position that you mess with, in my viewpoint. And when it comes to that offensive line, well, Carter O'Donnell can come in and replace David Foucault, who's who's kind of a journeyman who's filling that other guard spot. And has already entered his his mid thirties, right? This I, I hate this trade for Edmonton, and um, you know, t- to to me, the only reason ever to move a player like David Beard is if you're getting uh, a quarterback in return, right? As as part of a package, they didn't get that. They got a second round pick, and the odds of that second round pick coming in and playing and contributing right away, pretty low.
0: Yeah, and Chris Jones in his comments after the fact, he he did point out the fact this is going to be a very strong NCAA draft. And I was one of the first people to bang that drum when I put out my way too early top 25 draft prospects earlier this summer. But I would urge Mr. Chris Jones to have a bit of caution here because that draft list that looks so impressive right now could change very dramatically before draft time. Because a lot of those players who are eligible still have an additional year of college eligibility because of the pandemic. And many of them could opt to return to school either for educational reasons or to try and pursue the NFL just as players have in the last couple of years. And then they will be eliminated from this draft pool. So it could go from you know 25 talented NCAA guys to 10 real quick. And then all of a sudden... Where are you with that second-round pick? Is it as valuable as you thought? That can change overnight in the circumstance we're in right now in college football. So I don't know if Jones has truly made the cost-benefit analysis correctly here. Yeah,
2: and and the only player I can think of to come in along the offensive line is a second-round pick and play at a level that Beard is at right now is uh, that that would be Brett Jones, right? Who came in as a rookie in twenty thirteen from the University of Calgary and and or pardon me from the University of Regina and for the Calgary Stampeders was you know the league's most outstanding rookie. The odds of, of getting a kid in that second round and having him play at that high of a level next to zero. The Ottawa Red Blacks are suddenly in the East Division playoff race. That's red. Right. I just used the words Ottawa Red Blacks and playoffs in the same sentence they've won back-to-back games for the first time since 2019 what do you think the odds are of ottawa making the postseason are they big or are they small or still non-existent
0: well i don't like your choice of wording here because i don't think they're big I'm, I'm not sure i would define it as that but they're not small either this is a team that's now one game back of the Montreal Alouettes, and they just beat them last week. So I think they have a very, very realistic chance of making the playoffs. You know, if Montreal heads in the wrong direction, and clearly they look like an improved football team, the Red Blacks do, with Nick Arbuckle under under center making plays for them, I think they have a chance to make a run at this. Right now, the Hamilton Tiger Cats do not look to me like a team that's in contention At all. I think we can safely say that the Toronto Argonauts are well above. So it's a two horse race between Ottawa and Montreal. And you just proved that you are better than them. And I would say, you know, by a considerable margin in that particular game that they just played. So to me, it looks like the Ottawa Red Blacks are getting hot at the right time. And their odds of making the playoffs, I would say, are somewhere in between big and small.
2: Yeah, I, I'll give them a small chance. Still, I, I do think that the chance is absolutely there. Let's look at the schedule. They've got Toronto this week, a bye, and then another game against Toronto. To me, I think they, you know, they they should be looking to split those games. They did beat Toronto back in Week Eight, which means that all they have to do is split, and they've got the season series. Now, I think that you know, if if you split, you probably you know, give up that you're not going to catch Toronto in the standings. Toronto's at six wins, Ottawa at three. Uh, But that being said, I mean, if you are able to at least split, right, that gives you the season series on the off chance that Toronto completely stumbles at the finish line. Uh, Then after that, you've got BC. That's a tough game. You got to go to Vancouver, probably Vernon Adams Jr. starting by that point. That's probably an L for the Red Blacks. But to Finish off the season. You've got back-to-back games against the Alouettes, and then back-to-back games against the Ticats. Now we don't know what those teams are going to look like come October. That's a month away, but those four late divisional games for the Red Blacks, both of which are home and home, start on the road, finish at home. I think are great opportunities for this team to make up some ground because at the end of the day, they're only two game or two points rather behind the Alouettes, and they've already won the first game. Uh, or pardon me, they've won one of the two first games against the Alouettes. However, they won by 14 points, lost by seven. So they do currently, as it stands, have the tiebreaker against the Owls, which could play hugely into how the East Division is sorted. Because you mentioned it, Nick Arbuckle is making enough plays. He's protecting the football, has not committed a turnover through his two starts so far this season. And if you're not turning the ball over, you've always got a chance to win
0: ultimately their destiny is in their hands which is not something we would have said about the old red blacks about a month ago you know, we all thought paul lapelis was out the door this season was all all lost they have a shot now and it's because the east division has been so absolutely putrid putrid let's not make any uh you know statements to the contrary that is a fact that Every team in that division, I don't think there's a single one of them that actually deserves a playoff spot based on what they've shown us this season. But the Ottawa Redblacks now control their own destiny, and that four-game stretch against their top opponents at the end of the season is going to be critical.
2: Yes, and and that's a good way to say it. They control their own destiny, right? And that's something that it was would have been hard to imagine after they got spanked at home right by the Edmonton Elks. And, and, and maybe, by the way, that should be the focus here, too. The, the Auto Red Blacks have still yet to win a game at home this season. They have been putrid at home over the last few years. Both games against Toronto over the next couple of weeks are at home. If they win one of those, that's another way. They'll be treading in the right direction. But still, they've dug themselves a heck of a hole. It's going to take some time to dig themselves out. Off to a good start, but it's going to take some time.
0: Jumping to another East Division team, the Hamilton Tigercats started rookie quarterback Jamie Newman in the Labor Day Classic, and it uh, didn't go very well, Hodge, as he completed 14 of 25 pass attempts for 171 yards and one interception. Head coach Orlando Steinhauer said Newman showed flashes, but was, quote, obviously not good enough, end quote. Are the Ticats toast? Unless they can get a better quarterback,
2: yes, I, I think they are. Um, you know, whether whether that's Newman figuring things out, whether that's Jalen Morton figuring things out, whether that's Dane Evans regaining his confidence, whether that's Matthew Schultz coming back early from that wrist injury and playing at a high level, um, those things could all potentially work. But right now, this team's quarterbacking is is frankly pathetic. That's I think the worst Labor Day classic that I can remember. At least over the last ten years, that was played between the Argos and Ticats was a disappointing matchup, which is really disappointing because they had a great crowd in Steeltown, sold out Tim Hortons Field. Even just watching it on television, I could feel the energy emanating from my television from all the Ticats fans, many of whom probably started drinking beers in the parking lot at eight o'clock in the morning and were well lubricated by the time the game got underway. That said, I listened to Orlando comment, Orlando Steinauer's comments on tie Ty- on And he was very critical of, of Jamie Newman more so than I thought he would be from a player making his first start. He admitted that Newman was missing things that they'd practiced. Um, and, and you highlighted the quote, obviously not good enough. Um, you know, he didn't roast Jamie Newman, but I expected him to be a little bit, uh, a little bit more positive or a little bit, maybe more lenient on a rookie quarterback. I do still think that Jamie Newman has the tools to be successful in this league. He's certainly got a big arm. He's certainly got a big frame. He can run with the football. He can do some good things. But at the end of the day, that offense was, was obviously not good enough. Um, and uh, it, it was just disappointing, really disappointing from a team that that has really, really taken a step back this season.
0: Last week on the podcast, I gave myself a little bit of a pat on the back for a prediction I made early in the year that Jamie Newman would start a game for the Hamilton Tiger Cats before the end of the season. And, you know, I was right on that, but I want to remind viewers I never promised he would be any good. That was not part of the prediction. So just don't roast me for that. OK, I'm not ready to give up on Jamie Newman yet. He has all the tools, as you said, Hodge, this is a guy who was very highly regarded in college. Things didn't pan out for him. You know, He could be on a very different trajectory had he completed that final year of his collegiate career with the Georgia Bulldogs. Right? We may not be even talking about him in the CFL if that were the case. And we all know how difficult it is for young quarterbacks, specifically in your first year, to adjust to the CFL game when you see live bullets flying for the first time, it can be a little bit disconcerting when it's not what you're used to. So I'm not going to write him off after one game. I'd like to see him you know, make another start here so we can see if he improves what we can expect going forward. But it's pretty clear if he looks like he did in this game, then he's not the solution for Hamilton. And they need to start aggressively looking for new quarterbacks. And I think that's not just a this year issue. That's a next-year issue as well. Right now, I think you've proven that Dane Evans is not your guy long-term. And Matthew Schiltz, as good as he's looked, career backup, 29 years old, these are the types of quarterbacks that we've talked about on the podcast before is a dangerous trap for CFL teams because you get the the illusion of competence, right? You get a guy that you think can steer the ship, can manage the game, but he's not going to be an elite quarterback probably. And in fact, he's going to be on the downward trend of his career because of his age. So you really need to start looking at the guys down your depth chart. Maybe Jalen Morton is that guy. Maybe it's a guy that you can bring in from NFL cuts, your next year's guy, the backup that you need to start evaluating evaluating, but the Hamilton Tiger Cats clearly messed up in their quarterback evaluations this past offseason when they decided that Dane Evans was going to be the guy. Now they need to rectify that going forward and the whole scouting department needs to be all hands on deck to figure this out.
2: And let's talk about Dane Evans for a moment. So Dane Evans, according to the to the TICATS injury reports, was a full participant in practice Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Steve Milton of the Hamilton Spec, who's a great reporter and a super nice guy to boot, reported that Dane Evans could play, and sure enough, Dane Evans dressed as the third string quarterback. By all accounts, I I viewed that as the Ty Cats making a decision to go with Jay uh, to go with uh, Jamie Newman more so than simply, "Oh, Dane Evans is too hurt to play. Let's let's go with the rookie." Well, then I had Ty Cats fans tweeting at me from from the stadium during the game saying, well, Dane Evans was throwing left-handed during warmups. Like, hot, like his shoulder injury is obviously really bad. So on top of all this other stuff, there's clearly something awry in Hamilton. I'm not going to speculate as to what it is. All I'm saying is it does not make sense for a quarterback to be listed as a full participant in practice for three days and then be throwing with his wrong hand during warmups, those two things are completely incongruent, and something stinks in Tiger Town.
0: And if that's the case, why is he even dressed? Exactly. Why are you, as a good football team, wasting a roster spot on somebody who can't do their duty?
2: Precisely.
0: To me, that makes no sense, right? You can use that spot on additional Canadian special teamer. heck you could stick another global in there. You've got a serviceable D tackle. Those are all things you can use with that spot that can also be used for a third string quarterback. So why would you stick a guy in that doesn't help you? I it, that. It doesn't make any sense to me. Hodge. I, Orlando Steinhauer said earlier in the week, his quote was, you know, if Evans was good to go, he would go, which seemed to indicate it was an injury decision with, with Jamie Newman starting, but it, It baffles me how they've handled the quarterbacks because this is not the first time that Dane Evans has been the third stringer despite being hurt and unable to play. This is the second time, right? They did this uh, a few weeks back when Matthew Schiltz was the starter. They had Dane Evans sit there as the third stringer again in that game. It just doesn't make sense to me from a roster building perspective. And yeah, one extra player probably doesn't matter a ton in the big scheme of things, But it's just one of those legal things that in football, you don't take care of those things. They pile up, and it ends up in a losing season, like we've seen.
2: Yes, and the Ticats are on a bye. They could do some soul-searching, but right now, it's tough to have any sense of optimism about that club. They officially seem to have hit rock bottom. Duke Williams took an objectionable conduct penalty, despite not even dressing for the Labor Day Classic in Regina. The call came after defensive back Dietrich Nichols chased down Kyron Moore along the sideline and Williams created a skirmish. Head coach Craig Dickinson told the local media that he would no longer permit injured players to remain on the bench, saying, quote, it was a stupid penalty and I think Duke feels bad about it, as he should, end quote. What did you make of Williams' behavior?
0: Absolutely awful. You know, at any level of football, if you're someone on the sideline, not dressed, and you get involved in an altercation you cost your team a penalty it is an unforgivable mistake that is egregious behavior by duke williams and uh you know it's been a trend throughout the year with him he has had controversy after controversy whether it's accusations of spitting or helmet throwing or you know even something that Far more innocuous, but the jumping into the crowd for the nachos and getting fined for it. Duke Williams has been the center of attention and he's had more headlines for, you know, non play related things than he does have catches. You know, he has plenty more drops than headlines. I'll give him that, but (laughs) not very many catches, not very many yards, right? He has not been effective on the football field and yet he's taking headlines off the field. He's hurting his team actively when he's not on the field. To me, Duke Williams needs to do some self-evaluating. And the Riders, it should not have to come to this that you're not allowing players on the bench who aren't dressed, right? You should have control of your team to ensure that this doesn't happen. The fact that they are having to make a statement and saying there will not be players who are injured on the bench any longer because of this behavior is almost a statement or it's almost like throwing your hands up. Like we cannot handle this locker room anymore. And we've seen it with the, the Garrett Marino stuff coming too late. We see it here with Duke Williams. Things are not going well in Ryderville and they need to take more control of that locker room of those players. If they want to have success going forward. Well,
2: I'll, I'll say this. I, I thought there was a very encouraging sign in Ryderville this week because the offense wasn't anemic right Frankie Hickson was super involved in the first half played really well against a, a very stout Winnipeg defense Cody fajardo was throwing the ball with with accuracy he was throwing the he like he looked comfortable in the pocket for stretches of that game yes the offensive line broke down at times but I, I thought that was the best saskatchewan's offense has has looked in in weeks possibly all year I thought that was very encouraging however I think it's notable that that came without Duke Williams in the lineup. Shaq Evans came back, made some good plays. Kyron Moore made a couple of nice plays. And honestly, I, I don't understand Jason Moss's uh, lack of desire to try to get his running backs to the football. They completely went away from Frankie Hickson in the second half, which I thought was a huge mistake. And I think that this team needs to keep him involved and as well find a way to keep Jamal Morrow involved as a two-head, two-headed hand 2 running back tandem once Jamal Moore returns from a busted hand. Those two, I think, should be getting 30 touches combined a game, whether it's along the ground or through the air, uh, maybe 20 carries and 10 catches, that kind of thing, because that's only going to take pressure off of Cody Fajardo. Clearly, Duke Williams has shown, with this lack of judgment here and earlier this season, that he is not ready for a leadership role in that receiver room, but the good news for Saskatchewan is, they clearly don't need him, right? We haven't even talked about Kean Schaefer-Baker, who's been sensational for that team as well. So if I'm the Riders, you just moved on from Garrett Marino. I'm not saying you cut Duke Williams, but I think you start having conversations about who actually makes you the best team that you could possibly be because you just didn't have Duke. And again, against arguably the league's best defense, you just had arguably your best offensive performance of the year.
0: Yeah, it does not make a ton of sense to cut Duke Williams at this stage of the season, but you certainly have to think he's not going to be in the plans in Raggerville going forward, as you might have anticipated, and he's going to have to take, I would think, a significant pay cut if he plays in the CFL next year, because he hasn't shown himself to be worth all the money that they paid him in this offseason.
2: It's now time for Hodges' Heritage Moment. On this day in 1996, the Toronto Argonauts defeated the Winnipeg Blue Bombers by a score of 66-25, to setting a new CFL record for most points scored by a visiting team in a regular season game. Doug Flutie and the Argos went on to win the first of two back-to-back great cups 10 weeks later after finishing the regular season with a scintillating 15-3 and record. JC, have you ever seen a team go to another team stadium, and put up 66 points.
0: Uh, Not in professional football. I can assure you that when I was in high school, we had 66 points put up on us at home all the time. So we accomplished that feat uh, against us quite consistently. But I've never seen it happen at the professional level.
2: It's it's ridiculous. Um, I balked when I saw that number in the record book. I doubt we'll see another visiting team ever put up 66 points in a game. Unbelievable. It's now time for the three-minute drill. Here we go. Bernard Adams Jr. told the media in BC that he will be ready to play as soon as his new coaching staff deems him ready to do so. Do you think he could start this week against his old team?
0: Should he start? I believe he should. Will he start? I think they're going to give Antonio Pipkin one last shot at a starting job here. Or the first, start, sh- first shot at a starting job because Michael O'Connor uh, started the last game and was banged up. I don't think Pipkin's the option. I think I've seen enough of him in his CFL career to make that assessment. But BC isn't ready to put Vernon Adams Jr. on the field quite yet. The Montreal Alouettes released fullback Christophe Normand one week after suspending him following his arrest for child luring. Was that the right move, Pod?
2: It was. They seemed to take their time. They suspended him, right? They did their investigation, and obviously, I mean, with with what is transpiring Christoph Christophe Normand, he does not belong on a football field right now. We'll let the legal course run its course. Canadian offensive lineman Drew Desjardins made the practice roster with the New Orleans Saints. Is that a good fit for him?
0: I think it's great. There's some fantastic offensive linemen there in New Orleans that he can learn from. Drew Desjardins is a guy who's impressed me basically from day one in the CFL. Uh, We mentioned before, I had Jesse Gibbon ranked ahead of him. One of the most egregious mistakes I've ever made. uh, Evaluating the CFL draft, this guy is a stud. The CFL fined Toronto Argonauts defensive back Eric Sutton for his junk punch on receiver Keandre Smith. Was that the right decision? Absolutely.
2: We can't have, and we're borrowing this terminology, of course, from Dwayne Ford. You can't have people junk punching each other out there on the football field. Come on. The Edmonton Elks signed former Toronto Argonauts defensive back Jeff Richards. Is that a good move?
0: I think it is. I've always been impressed by Jeff Richards' play. Now, he's a little up there in age, but there's not a lot of talent on the Edmonton back end right now. I think a guy like Jeff Richards helps you a ton. The University of Manitoba Bison's offensive line went viral on TikTok, garnering more than 4 million views, almost 5 million views, on a video of them practicing pass sets to a Bruno Mars song. How cool is that, Hodge?
2: Super cool. I love TikTok, but I gotta say the Bison's have to get their blocking game up to match their TikTok game because Des Catelier faced a ton of pressure this past week against the Regina Rams, got sacked six times. I'm surprised he stayed in the game. BC acquired kick returner Terry Williams by a trade from the Ottawa Redblacks. Can he bring a spark to the team's anemic return game?
0: I think he can bring somewhat of a spark, but there's two issues here. Number one, it's going to be difficult to get him on the roster based on their ratio and how they've been uh, setting things up this season. That's part of the reason why they haven't had a kick returner. And number two, the blocking is still going to be terrible, so there's only so much that Terry Williams can fix. The Saskatchewan Huskies spanked the Calgary Dinos 44-5 in the first week of Canada West U-Sport action. Do you see the Huskies winging this year's Vanier Cup? I do.
2: I do. I think they're going to win it. Um, I certainly think they're going to get out of Can West. I thought the Bisons could give them a run for their money. After watching the Bisons this past week, I have less faith in the University of Manitoba getting that done. I like the Huskies a lot. Edmonton plays star receiver Kenny Lawler on the six-game injured list due to an ankle injury. How big of a blow is that to the Elks?
0: I don't think there could be a bigger blow to this Elks team based on what they have in that offense. Other than Kenny Lawler, he's their biggest star by far, their best player. This is a pretty significant loss for that football team. The Ottawa Redblacks have brought back defensive back Brandon Dandridge following a stint in the NFL. Can he help? in their bid to make the postseason
2: i think he can uh they moved on from anthony texada in a corresponding move this morning i thought dandridge was super physical super athletic for them last year at corner i think he's going to help them a lot maybe he'll maybe he'll put them under the postseason we'll see simon fraser university's athletic teams will now be called the red leafs two years after discontinuing the name clan how do you feel about the name red leafs
0: I think I'm going to steal a word from Shaquille O'Neal for this particular assessment. I'm going to call it horror awful. (laughs) It's horrible and awful combined. I do not like Red Leafs. I've liked their their marketing campaign when they didn't have a team name where they talk about repping the Leaf, rep the Leaf because their category is only NCAA team. I think that's great. Red Leafs. Just does not roll off the tongue it's clunky it's ugly i do not like this name for sfu at all whatsoever former cfl all-star deontay spencer has landed on the practice roster of the new york jets is that a good fit
2: it is a good fit and it brings my heart joy knowing that chris streveler will be throwing to deontay spencer in practice with the new york jets how's that for a cfl connection we thank you. Guy, I love it. We thank you as always for listening to the 3 Down Nation Podcast. We'll join you folks next week for another episode. Take care. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.